This is the Meteor Club Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about all things Meteor. Welcome, Meteor fans, to the Meteor Club Podcast. I am your host, Josh Owens, along with my co-host, Ben Strahan. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Yeah, you're uh, you're in the middle of the office there. You couldn't get a meeting room, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Nice and loud for everyone, so it sounds like I'm popular. Yeah. 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 All right. right so who else do we have on the show, Ben? So we're doing some awesome stuff today. Uh, we have Max from Meteor Toys on. Hey, Max, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. I'm a self-taught. Excited to be here. Right on. And we got Avi from... Work pop. How you doing, brother? How you doing? Um, I'm Abby. I've uh, been on the show before, and uh, really excited to get into some deep topic topics today. Cool, Josh. What are we doing today? What are our topics, man? So today, you know, as you guys know, like we we have the Meteor Club check, uh, check chat Slack room. Try to say chat and Slack at the same time. Uh, and honestly, like. I'm still just stoked by some of the conversations that occur in there. And um, one of them was, you know, Max talking about um, uh, Meteor Toys. And so we thought that was a good good way. Like, we're going to talk about what Meteor Toys is and, you know, uh, what he's launching. And then we're also going to talk generally about development environment and how, how you guys have that set up and kind of, I don't know, maybe professional best practices. Are we professionals? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the other thing is just last night, like uh, Abby asked a question, what do you hate about Meteor? So I just thought we'd just freeform it and just let's all just hate on Meteor for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because like I got Max to get on the show based off of a negative comment that he put on Crater.io. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) So this is like perfect. This is great. We're going to be able to bash Meteor. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Before we start, what is on your shirt, Josh? What is that? Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. For the people, like, I'm eventually going to put the video out, but it's a unicorn pooping. What the heck? Marshmallows? Yeah. And oh, it's awesome. Lower, like, oh, it's marshmallow time. But they don't realize it's just unicorn poop. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Yeah. My kids are going nuts. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Rock and yeah. roll. All right. Yeah, my kids love this shirt. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get into it. Like, uh, why don't you share your screen, Max, and then we'll we'll kind of talk about. You can tell us what Meteor Toys is, and then we'll start to get that discussion. Yep, sounds great. So I'll give you guys a bit of a story of how Meteor Toys came to be. Um, you know, when you start building your application, you have to spend a considerable amount of time in your browser console, you run database commands find, fetch, update, etc. And you've got the session get set. And those are great features, but when you have to type them 50 times per hour to work on your application, it gets really frustrating. So the first thing I put together was just a little widget that would basically display all your collection and how many documents you have in each one. And as you would switch routes, you can see how the subscription changes. And that opened up like a portal to a new type of development tool where once I added the ability to edit and modify the documents, 
it, 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 you know, it, it improved the development process for a lot of people. And, yeah. and when it came on the scene, it seemed like a pretty simple thing, like an obvious thing that we should have had. And uh, it got popular pretty quick, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think by the end of this month, it'll surpass 10,000 downloads. And aside from my occasional uh, tweets, I, I think it's been mostly organic. So, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I think I said this maybe on the last one. We, No, I remember it was in the, the Q&A. We were talking about security. I feel like this is what they really wanted with auto publish and insecure. Mm -hmm. um, is something along these lines and not, not what auto publish and insecure is. And to be fair, like the debug only flag that you use to kind of keep this only available in, in development mode, like that, that just came along in 0 0.9. So it is, yeah. it is awesome. Yeah. I think uh, Adrian from uh, Meteor MIC filled me in. Like when they built Velocity, they basically didn't want the tests to ship to production. So they contacted MDG and they made this debug only type of package. And once I saw that, I began to think of like, what other stuff could we do to kind of improve the developer experience, which I think is a big part of what Meteor is about. And that led to the creation of Meteor Toys, which I can show you now. So they're very simple, whoops. What is Meteor Toys, if you could like quickly explain it to people who can't see it? Yeah. Video. So Meteor Toys are, they're basically a package that you can install into your application that only works when you're in development. And when you trigger a hotkey like Control M, it brings on an overlay of tools that make it easier and faster for you to debug your application and build things. And it started off with just viewing the, the database and the session variables. And now it extends into a much bigger set of tools. So I'll give you guys a few examples of, uh, the kind of, of how it's laid out. So in the bottom left corner, you have the Mongol, which lets you view and modify your database documents. And in the bottom right corner, you have Jet Setter, which is a get set tool for your session variables. Now, in the Pro version, we extend it with the ability to watch reactive variables and reactive dictionaries, because it seems like a lot of people want to get away from session variables and have like namespaced reactive variables. So we built that in, but the real toys are up in the top left corner where you get what I call the seven orbs. And this is basically an extendable set of development tools. We're starting off with just seven to start, but as time goes on, as media progresses, I'll continue to add more to it. So I can take them, I can go into each one. I think the reverse order would work best. So the first one is hot reload. And the idea for this one came is uh, whenever I wanted to see how my app be behaves in a hot refresh, I would go into my browser, add a space bar, I mean, into my code editor, add a space bar somewhere, save it, and wait for the application to reload. And I thought, you know, this, this is something that frustrates me and that eats up a bit of my time and slows down what I really want to do. So I build a widget that basically, when you press on it, it triggers a hot reload. 
So that one is pretty fun. The next one is called Listen. And it basically lets you listen to your DDP connections. So whatever comes in and out of the browser, you can view in the console. And I think it's really good for beginners to see how that protocol works and how their data syncs up and et cetera. Very cool stuff, man. Thank you. Next up, we've got the subscriptions. And this gives you a list of every subscription that you have in your application. Really useful when you're debugging your iron router and you wanna see that you have the right data. You can also stop a subscription and see how your application works in that case. Next up, we have publications. Can you, um, can you modify the subscriptions on the fly? Uh, you can't modify them, but you could terminate them and then start new ones. Yeah, that's super cool, man. So in this case, I have a dummy subscription, which I click on. It actually detects all their parameters. So you don't have to type them in every time. And you just press subscribe and it takes effect. Now, the cool thing is that if you go on your browser console, which may not show up in the screen share, it basically generates the subscription code for you. So once you have the right subscription, you can just copy and paste it right into your, uh, in, into your router or wherever you place it. And just like we detect all your publications and, and their parameters, it does the same thing for methods. So you have your methods, you press on one, type in the parameter, and it returns the result into your console. The other cool one is uh, when I first started, you know, when you start to write method, uh, meteor methods, you often have to go into your code editor, type out the method, call it through the browser and see how it works. And I found that very frustrating because you may forget what the parameters are. You have to wait for the hot reload and all sorts of other stuff. And I thought it would be nice if you can write the method first and then take that code and paste it into your application. And what Shell does is it basically lets you type in code that you would run as a method. It then returns the results into your browser console and it auto generates the code that you can paste into your application to have that method working. And my favorite one is called impersonate. This is the last one of the seven tools. And the idea is that when you build an application where a lot of people collaborate, you have to create multiple accounts and then sign in and out of them every single time just to make sure that everything works right for every user. And that means you have to sign out and sign into accounts every couple of minutes. And that's something that quickly becomes an, uh, an annoyance because you have to remember the passwords, the emails and all the stuff. And what Impersonate does is it just detects the users in your application. And then with just a click, you can sign into it and Meteor automatically updates the all the account information, all the subscriptions, et cetera. So it's a really quick way to just kind of test the collaborative app and see how it works when you're signed in or signed out. Yeah, that's super interesting. That was that was my favorite one when I when I saw the list that you got that you sent us yesterday. So uh, yeah, I, 
I tend to agree because um, I, I think some of this you can do through like the console, like the DDP stuff or the subscription stuff, like watching data flow across the wire. You can do in Chrome by looking at, like inspecting the WebSocket packets, which isn't bad. Uh, but this is a nicer way to look at it. But the impersonate me is like something that you just you can't do, right? Like it's just someone's got to build that, and this is this is actually pretty awesome. Yeah, I like all these toys. Um, impersonation is pretty useful, uh, but I guess my question is: uh, Would you, if 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 you have like the pro version? Mm -hmm. Um, and can you run this on production code? I know it's debug only, but could you run this stuff on production to um, permissioned users and then they can impersonate users on the fly? Let's say you're running some type of site that has some moderation tool. Um, yeah, how's that working for you right now? Do you have any clients that you're doing that for? Yeah, so I think right now the way Meteor Toys work is that they basically create a security hole in your application that lets you do all these all these things and then when you push to production they go away so you kind of close those vulnerabilities but a lot of people have also mentioned that some of these things are useful in production and the challenge there is that you have to add a security layer where only users with certain permissions can access these features and for that one of the things that Meteor Toys will come with is a booklet on how to convert Mongol into an administration tool. And I've also been considering building an admin panel for Meteor that does this because I think if you have like a customer support for your customers and you wanna see what's happening on their end or how their application works, impersonation is very useful as well. So building a production set of Meteor Toys is something I've been considering. I, th I think for now a booklet may do the job just because uh, I think it'd be good for people to see how they work and be able to themselves. Yeah, that's that's totally super super useful. And uh, I guess from an ex I'm coming from the experience of having to having had to build all these parts for WorkPop where we have our own impersonation code um, that we use in production. So our customer success people can impersonate people. Um, we have uh, admin tools like looking at, you know, publications and subscriptions and stuff like that, but we didn't surface it in such a way where it's very easy to digest like this with like, you know, icons and good UI. And it reminds me of what Josh used to say, I think in a couple of podcasts ago, where he likes to type things. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think here at the Culture of Work Public, like, when we do all the tools, when we have all our tools, they're all console, web console tools. And I think that's because we actually like to type everything out. <laughs> and um, But it's really interesting to, to see like a different version of what we're actually doing, but we're actually just constantly coding stuff into the console. This is yeah. pretty what good. What stands out to me here is Meteor is like super powerful, but it also lowers the bar of entry for people who want to get into programming. And uh, this is just some more sugar that would uh, entice people to come on over uh, and have them see like uh, polished tools like this. Uh, and they're like, hey, programming might not be scary. You know, I can make my own apps, things like that. 
And, uh, and then they'll say, hey, Max is super awesome. I should contact him. Well, in response to that, um, the reason we don't use Mongol, we do use JetSetter. Props to you, Max. Uh, we do use JetSetter. But the reason we don't use Mongol, and this is a purely opinion preference thing, is we want everyone to get better at writing Mongo queries. And we have an admin package that allows you to write server-side queries through the web console. And we want everyone to be really good at writing Mongo queries. So we interact with our data that way um, because um, some of our people may not be up to standards on like really pro at MongoDB. But for session, session is so global and they're so hairy sometimes where people are namespacing things the same way. JetSetter really helps us because we honestly don't really know what sessions variables are going on, really. Like you really don't know. Um, but if you have a small tight-knit team, publications and subscriptions are like the core of your uh, the ability to scale and have a healthy app. Like it's always present of mind for us, but sessions are like in the ether. Like we have no idea. And uh, JetSetter definitely helps out. So props to you, Mac. Uh, Max. You're definitely helping us out there. Thanks. And yeah, just to add to that, I, I think we spoke about this on Twitter or maybe to one of your guys, but I think it's absolutely a good idea to kind of learn to query Mongo yourself before jumping into Mongo because once you know how that works, you have that skill forever. And uh, I think to the point of typing in your own commands, I think knowing how to call methods and subscriptions through the console is super important. But when you build four or five apps, you're, it's no longer as challenging and your enthusiasm begins to dwindle towards those things. And, uh, you know, to me personally, technology is about, it, it's a means to an end. And I think that's the kind of type of person that I'm hoping would use these kind of, kind of tools. Yeah, it seems that, well, out of everyone on this panel right now, I'm the only one who's actually working on the same thing every day, like, for a long time. It seems like all you guys have client work that varies, you know, month to month or project to project where... You're going to reuse code a lot. You're, doing, you're kind of doing the same thing a lot where tools like this are super awesome. Like, and I can totally see why you created it because if you're doing the same thing all the time, you're going to almost like, like go crazy. Right. So yeah, this stuff would be super useful. I used to come from like the web agency background where we didn't have these type of tools and we're doing the same thing over and over. And then you just want to shoot yourself because it sucks so bad. Um, but yeah, anyway. And uh, yeah, I guess maybe as a closing statement to it, I, I think what's interesting here is that I, I think Meteor kind of almost wanted to have these tools to exist. Like when people saw them, it seemed like a very natural fit for the framework. And I think what's important to highlight here is that Meteor is probably the only framework where you can build these kind of tools without having to jump through hoops to make it all work and have it be compatible. And I, I think this is one of the things that will differentiate it big time as the framework matures. That's a real good point right there. Yeah. Having come from Rails, I would completely agree with that. I mean, there's, there's just no, no easy way to pull these things off. So yeah. when I, saw uh, Rails, I was just like, I'm just going to wait this error out and see what comes next. And, 
All right. Uh, so that's an awesome overview of uh, Meteor Toys. Um, thanks for, for sharing all that with us, Max. And for people that are interested in, in maybe uh, getting the pro version, which you're launching soon, uh, like how will they find that and, and what's that going to cost? Yeah. So the cost is still under consideration. I think I'm planning to launch them tomorrow. And I guess at midnight, I'll just see what price comes to mind uh, the feedback i've been getting has been extremely consistent so uh we'll see what that makes sense hey max you mean uh you mean the 30th you're gonna launch it oh it's actually right tomorrow oh the 30th yeah <laughs> you mean you did launch it right you did launch it yes yes uh, april 30th meteor toys <laughs> You're giving away our secrets, man. No one knows. They think we record this live, not two weeks in advance. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not talking about anything. If you're not talking about anything, I'm not talking about anything. <laughs> well, what I was talking about is Meteor Toys launching on April 30th. Meteor Toys, and uh, I'm, I'm sure, and uh, that's. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> good, good enough. We'll hold you. <laughs> right on. Hey, really quick. Like, um, was there something else out there that inspired you to make these things? Oh, uh, so I, I, I was building an app that basically had a lot of different routes. And I got frustrated with the routing because my subscriptions were all over the place. It was really the first app I built. And I built a counter for my collections that sat in the bottom left corners. I had three collections and it basically just had the numbers of, uh, you know, collection name and number. And it was a fixed position div. It just sat there. It looked hideous. And then I went a step ahead. I did that when you press on them, it runs console log fetch for the collection. And I was able to view all the documents easily. And then I was about to join what, maybe the only meteor shop i mean the only meteor based company in new york and one of the guys is like hey did you ever build a package and you know to me that was like a challenge so it's like fine i'll build a package and i basically brushed up that thing and put out put it out as a mongo inspector and then what seemed very natural was to add a view a way to kind of view the documents themselves instead of going into the console and it, it just kind of became its own thing. And then that just sat in the bottom left corner. It was just a black box fixed position in the bottom left. When it was time to view the documents, I began to think of how could that be transitioned or animated. And that, that basically was the precursor to Mongol. And then with the Mongol inspections, I mean, with the Mongol collections in the bottom left, having the same thing for sessions in the right corner made a lot of sense. And that's how I basically visually abstracted the session variables and the database collections. And then when I began to think of this next play, I figured it has to be extendable because there's only four corners and maybe these other things may not be as high priority as session variables and, uh, and, and database collections. And that led to the ORP type of interface where they expand. 
but uh, yeah, it, it just it, it kind of emerged from solving my own issues and trying out different ways to to uh, to make it user friendly for everyone. Right on. You know nice. what you need. You know what you really need. You need professional testimonials. <laughs> and and I, I think us guys right here that you see, you know, like free pro licenses. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and then some testimonials. <laughs> I'm, I'm just putting that out there. I mean, I mean, some some good marketing right here. You know, I won't send you my marketing bill. I will. But but now that it's becoming like a bribe type of thing, I'm just not sure I can do it. <laughs> no you know you know what you need Forget in all honesty you need another orb and you need to add like a rendering um that has like animation hooks or something so every time blaze re-renders a section of the page you know it'll like do a little ui flash or you know turn something red or so i saw sasha was doing something with that and uh, i think it would be awesome because i know i know abby was fighting with this last night yeah so to give you guys a sneak preview of what's next, there's two orbs coming out. One is for the blaze inspection, which uh, is still under works. And the other one is a Meteor GS Club podcast section where you get notifications as new podcasts come out without doing anything. Even Bada better. Bada and boom. And, well, and, it, and it's only $199 a month, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> for you <laughs> nice i think uh advertising space i think blaze inspection is super important if any package could do that this is definitely the one um because i i was fr super frustrated yesterday like templates rerunning like seven times uh that's why you gotta like really really control your reactivity which i learned the hard way um but yeah if those things could be solved quicker with the right tools um, and we definitely need more tools. Now you said that, um, did I hear you right where you said it's expandable? Can we like make our own uh, plugins or add-ons for this so we can have our own orbs? Absolutely. Well, so actually that's a yes or no question. So theoretically there is an SDK which allows you to extend the toys. So for example, maybe Ivan Router can have its own toy and maybe if something else integrates into it. Uh, but but my, what I'm trying to do is make it a more of a collaboration than an open system because I want to control the quality of the orbs themselves. So the code has to be namespaced. Uh, it has to work a certain way. There has to be a certain focus on, and consistency in the functionality. So uh, it's definitely a possibility, but it's something that- uh, I smell something coming. <laughs> just, uh, the orb orb consulting incorporated is that, is that what i is that what i smell coming next <laughs> yes yeah, it's expandable so i'll just say like you know meteor wanted to have the same thing right and then meteorite came along so where there's a will there's a way like you got to be careful because people will find a way to do it anyway <laughs> that's true well, you know, yeah. if they do that, then good for them. It's just in terms of what I can support and endorse through the website. And it would have to be uh, made in a certain way. 
But for the package, if they get the source code and they build their own toys, then I'm sure it's better for the community regardless. And how are you? How are you maintaining the package right now? Do you have help? Are you by yourself? Uh, uh, how's that going? Yeah, I mean, I'm basically well with Mongol. I had a few contributors just pop up, and they implemented some cool things like automatic collection detection and those kind of things. Everything else was a solo effort. And that's kind of why the pricing popped into place because answering Git issues, answering support emails, building up new toys, uh, turning down jobs, all these things end up uh, costing you time and money. And I figured this could be one way to kind of sustain their development until they're at a certain maturity. Absolutely, yeah, nice. Coming up to 100 GitHub issues. So, you know, you could imagine that, and, and, and they're all almost resolved, but you could imagine how much uh, time that, that takes up without you really expecting it. We, we can all imagine. We all, like I've seen the stress it puts on Chris Mather. <laughs> all right, so let's. Um, that guy's a hero. Yeah, he is. Let's, uh, let's switch gears real quick. Uh, there's a train going by. Sorry, I got my window open today, so you can actually hear the train now. But um, let's talk about uh, development environments real quick for a few minutes. Uh, so what are you guys using, you know, for let's, – let's just start with IDEs, right? That's, that's a great way to start a war. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll start. I'm, I'm down with Abby on this one. I just know it. Um, <laughs> so – my uh, IDE preference is WebStorm 10. Boom. Um, and this is why. Um, one, WebStorm has uh, great formatting tools for JavaScript. It has support for Meteor. Uh, you can do server-side debugging with breakpoints. Uh, you can click two templates, click two CSS, click two JavaScript, um, and that makes things a lot faster. And you can also search by keyword, which is super fast and makes things really awesome. Uh, and uh, everyone should use WebStorm, and the war begins now. Everyone should use WebStorm. I can't even talk now. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Someone's going to say Vim, right? Hell yeah. How, how, do I mute, how do I mute this guy? Vim and Tmux. You can't mute Vim and Tmux, man. I'm sorry. Let me move to a Linux environment or – oh. I know what I got. I got to install Java. That's everybody's favorite thing to do, right? Let's let's fire up some swing. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. That, that's a zero argument right there. It just sounds like someone whining to me. I don't know. <laughs> Installing yeah, so Java? No, that's not a whine. Like I was literally sitting at my kids' middle school, my their new middle school. They're starting at next year. And there's don't a bring any kids into this. Don't bring kids into this. But no, no, I'm bringing the principal into it. So he's like, he's sitting there trying to give a demonstration on a Windows machine. And, you know, like it interrupts his PowerPoint to say like, oh, you need to upgrade your Java runtime. And he's like, I hate Java. What, what, did, he say? what did he say again? I, I hate Java. <laughs> like, I hate Java. Yeah, yeah. It, you could tell it was like dripping with venom. So, how, many, how many years have you been using Vim? Um, since, uh, 20, late 2011, maybe. So four years, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, 
I've heard that Vim users are diehard. Uh, the only person who doesn't use WebStorm at WorkPop is uh, my coworker, Jason. He's been using Vim for 20 years. So <laughs> we told him to use WebStorm and he was like, uh, no, definitely yeah, not. Like I don't, I don't want to have to bring a mouse into this, right? This is me and a keyboard and we're, uh, we're going to get some work done and uh, you know, screw the mouse. We're done. So you guys know I am developer on Twitter? I think he summed it up just right. Vim users might save 11 minutes in the course of a year, but they spend 11 hours evangelizing Vim. And so they, it's a net loss. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you spend 11 hours like yak shaving with, uh, with tweaking your config. Honestly, I haven't touched my config in a long time, but I, I do. I love, I love Tmux. I love, I love Vim. So that's, that's my piece. What about you, Max? So this is the part where I, in my typical fashion, rock the boat. I use Sublime Text, and you know I found this awesome icon on Dribble that looks really nice in my dock. Maybe I'll tweet it out later. I've got the Flatlands theme, nice shade of blue, Monokai syntax coloring, and Slava's Meteor snippets. So basically, like, it just codes for me, and I, I like to look at it. Silence. You shocked us. You oh, did. You were right. All you guys and your auto coding stuff. But I think like um, auto coding is just another tool, right? That makes us all more efficient. Um, but then Josh does like to type things, so that's good. <laughs> no, but in general, like, what do you, what do what should we tell people about IDs? Like, what should you look for? Should you be should you should you be using brackets or Adam or like, there's so many editors out there. There's so much stuff like. What is like the rule of thumb on picking one when you're developing with media? Yes, Abby's right. There should be just one that we should talk about. one. There's, there's never going to be one. So I would say, you know, from my experience, uh, the more, maybe this is a horrible answer, but the more popular a IDE is, and I, I'd say this is true of anything, right? Like packages or, um, you know, anything on Atmosphere or... Uh, even databases or whatever, like if it's more popular testing frameworks, that's what I was trying to think of. If it's more popular, there's going to be more blog posts on it. There's going to be more people using it that you can ask for help. So, you know, go out and like, honestly, we should just, we should run a poll on Crater or something. Like, what are you using? Like Crater needs polls. can't believe that's not a thing. So anyway, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how I'd choose it. But, uh, you know, to kind of go one step back up, you know, one of the goals of Meteor Toys was to kind of eliminate the browser console and give you a visual way to uh, perform certain actions. And my next target I'm considering is the IDE itself. So I wanted to know, what do you guys think about, could Meteor be visualized into a, almost like a parse type interface where it writes a DDP based backend for you? because that's what I've been looking at next. I think the APIs are really simple. It's pub, sub methods, and you, de you define database collections. That basically gets 90% uh, of the work done for you. Well, what I think about that is what Josh said is if it's popular, people should use it, right? Um, like, I'm not into the. I'm not in the business of learning micro languages, micro tools, things that are used by five people. 
because when you are working a team, the new guy on the block is not going to know anything about what that is. And I'm always about uh, being, I'm always about doing things conventionally, straightforward, and people can ramp up easily. And let's say this IDE for your backend is super popular, well adopted, and becomes like some kind of norm, then yeah, for sure, that's great. But if it's only going to be adopted by a small subset of people, I, I, I can't follow that. Um, it's just not in the best uh, interest of a business, you know, especially when you're building technology that's supposed to last a couple of years. Yeah, I think this is one of those like perception is reality type of things. If you look at, uh, like I lived through um, kind of RSpec coming on the scene with Rails and I think just the amount of noise that they were able to make and the uh, amount of blog posts coming out and, and I mean, David Chlemsky did a really good job as well, like supporting the framework and talking about it and writing a book and that kind of thing. But I really do think like he was just able to do a good job onboarding people and then they talked about it and that's why it's, it's probably still to this day, like one of the top testing frameworks in rails. So a lot of work there. All right. And, so, and, and you get a deserved silence after talking about rails. <laughs> I'm in timeout. I kind of remind you like once every podcast, this is meteor. We are fan, we are fanboys. We only talk about one thing. We have a hammer. Everything's a nail. This is how it goes, Josh. Come on, man. I got it. And with that, that's an awesome segue in our next topic. <laughs> yes, yeah, fanboys. <laughs> right? So, what do you hate about Meteor? Oh man, I have a list. I have a list of things I hate. Um, <laughs> I proposed this question last night because. Everyone always talks about good things when you're an evangelist of the framework. Like everyone always talks about, oh, everything is reactive, uh, databases everywhere, JavaScript on client and server. These are all positive things, but like no one talks about the the shitty stuff, the stuff that you run into later, the stuff that like really really frustrates you. Um, so for me, the one thing I'll start with one, and then we'll. I think we can make a discussion out of it. But for me, I came from doing things in AngularJS, right? And in Angular, things were very opinionated. Like, we, everyone did something this way, you know? Like, and if you didn't do something, like, a certain way, like, you're probably doing it wrong, you know? And I, I like heavily opinionated things. Personally, that's just the way I like it. And with Meteor, when we first started doing things here, we had to make our own opinions. And even to this day, you always have to second guess, like, do we make the right decision? You know, we're looking at some of our code now and we're like, hmm, are we making the right decisions? Did we, should we change it now? Is the decision we're going to make now about the code uh, going to be the right one? And I think is as, a, as you get more experienced in an inexperienced community, you're going to hit this wall where, like, maybe no one's done this before. And you might be the first one that tackles the challenge. You know, you might be the first one on the frontier. And it's really tough where you don't know, you may not know what the hell you're doing. And uh, I wish Meteor themselves, MDG, would say, like, this is how we do things at MDG. If we were going to use Meteor to build an app, this is how we would do it. And that maybe give you, like, someone like me some kind of uh, 
like framework of you know how things how things are done like in like the vision of the creators so so, so that's an in interesting viewpoint um and i could see from where you're coming from why that's so important but like philosophically moving forward should frameworks in the future be more opinionated or less opinionated uh well i'll just say like i want to want to answer a little bit of obvious question but I would say personally, I think frameworks should always be opinionated, right? So for me, coming from Rails, uh, going into Meteor, I got I to mention that again, Ben, just for you. Um, I, I really, really think that opinionated frameworks are better for, because if you're not opinionated, you're not really a framework. You're just maybe gluing a few things together, in my opinion. Um, and so... You know, when you look at the mean stack, there's still a whole lot of choices that are left out there for you. And uh, you got to make those choices. And frankly, I think that makes hiring a heck of a lot harder. And when you're building a business, that's something you care about. Um, but to Abby's point too, I think it's hard for MDG to get to the point where they're going to be able to tell you how they're going to use something necessarily because uh, they're building a framework uh, but they're also like, they take time off. Like they just did a hack week, uh, which is where the whole company just stops and they sit down and everyone like has to either pair up or something and, and build an application or something interesting that has nothing to do with the work that they've been doing. And um, I, I think interesting learnings come out of that. And uh, Sashko has a really good, um, he did, he built a rest API package um, which allows you to just plug in and expose your methods and your subscriptions uh, or your publications as REST endpoints. Uh, and a lot of learning happened there what, with him doing that. And he took good notes and I think good things will come out of that. But at the same time, they can't necessarily build, like they're not necessarily building a business where they have to scale to support thousands and thousands of people. Um, so the interesting thing is like people like Mixmax, right? Like they're way out in front and trying to figure out a lot of this scaling stuff or other, other pieces of it. And to your point about Mixmax, do you have their contact information? Uh, so I can hit them up and say, what's up, man? Uh, how are you dealing with all these problems? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just like Brad at Mixmax.com. Hopefully he won't shoot me for that. Oh, dude, everyone's going to hit him up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, he'll be, so on May 7th, he's going to do a Q&A and, you know, we're going to take questions live and we're going to talk about scaling and he put out a, a great article about that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I would say for me, the, one of the frustrating things I hit today was uh, this dot user ID versus like meteor dot user ID as a function call. Like one's, one's just a, a, uh, what do you call that? Like an object. Um, and the other or a property on an object that's what i was looking for and then the other one's a function call and it's like why are they different i spent like 15 minutes sitting there banging my head why this mongo query wasn't working it turned out i just forgot the the parentheses so that bugs me <laughs> that's a gotcha for sure that's that's just like one of those gotchas yeah definitely like another thing is like with merge box where you might be like adding more uh, data to your, to your subscription, maybe another subscription comes in and adds in, but if you have nested fields, uh, like you don't even get that extra data uh, with some, with the merge box complex. And we saw that a lot on building our iOS app. 
um, the added messages would come in, but they would only update the top level field, but we actually needed profile.name.zip code or something, you know, something stupid like that, but we would never get it. And uh, we actually resorted to putting some data in, in a method and, you know, hacking around that. And those things get frustrating because you don't, it's hard to reason about things. And like when you're developing application, you should, you should know what's going on under the hood. Uh, trusting the framework is fine, but you should be able to at least like reason about it, think about this. And, um, you know, the examples, most examples are pretty straightforward, but, you know, you run into these things where you're just like, gotcha. Like, oh, good luck, man. Yeah, that's, that's maybe another good point because I think it, it was odd for them to choose Mongo as the database that they did out of the gate, but then they have such poor sub-document support. And that's one thing you just touched on there. And then, uh, you know, another thing is... Um, like doing joins or something on a sub document would be really weird as well. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just, it just seems like they didn't, they didn't really fully embrace Mongo to me just based on what I've seen from it. Yep. I'd have to agree. Hey, Abby. So all this stuff that, that you guys are kind of blazing a path for, I hope you're like keeping good records for it and all that so that you can be that opinionated voice in the community. Oh, <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, we're definitely keeping track of everything that we're doing. Like, uh, we're just starting to build, um, the right infrastructure that will make our things more reusable. So a lot of our business logic is going into packages, front end codes going into packages, like things that we know that we want to share with the community that are just too work poppy right now. Um, but we're doing like, we're taking those steps to get everything organized and, we're adopting the package package only infrastructure, at least to the most that we can. But uh, it's just tough, and um, I definitely write all these things down that frustrate me, and we'll probably knock some blog posts out when like finally figure out these things or they have that aha moment. But it's it's tough because if you're not working on with Meteor every day like I am and you guys, like how's someone else just gonna like figure these problems out? Like exactly could be chilling on a Sunday afternoon, run into this problem, and then we'd be like, ah, oh, screw this framework. Like, I'm, I'm out. I rather, I'm going to go back to, to .NET. Peace out, you know? Like, <laughs> it's really tough. I put myself in the other people's shoes, and, like, I work on this, you know, 12 hours a day on Meteor. I'm, like, doing a lot of work. Like, um, people who don't have that opportunity, like, I don't know what they're doing. That's tough. Yeah, I know in our private uh, Slack group, uh, from Meteor Club, like the issues that you that you uh, mention on there, probably like once, twice a week, uh, right after you mention something, man, everyone's like, oh, hell yeah, hell yeah, what the heck is up with it? And uh, so if you're hitting it, we're hitting it. And then, like you said, what about these newcomers? You know, it's like they don't have that group. They don't have that support. So good point. Yeah, Meteor sucks. Um, another thing, I, I think I'm the only one talking about how much I hate Meteor. I'm sorry to take the, the spotlight, but I've been like just holding this all in, guys. Like, I need a vent right now. Dude, um, dude, I'm your Dr. Phil. Just let it. Just let um, it. So, Kadira is our only performance metric tool um, for everything Meteor related. And that sucks because it's the only one. Um, and I wish there were some other people that were. Um, trying to solve the same problems um, 
and approach it from a different angle because Kadir is great, but you know, when there are other non meteor apps have of an array of tools, like so many different things for performance metrics. And I think we're like, though we have Kadira, we're like constrained just to Kadira. Um, also like, I wish Kadira, you could just do a dump of like every data point. So then like our data analysts can actually see like, you know, maybe it actually run some actual analysis rather than having pretty graphs with, with spikes and stuff that um, only do every three hours. Like, you, you know, these type of things are necessary as you hit those scaling roadblocks. You should, you should contact Aaron Oda. My guess is he would help you with that export. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So I want to, I want to hear from, I want to hear from Max cause you, you had an interesting answer last night. Well, thanks. Um, so, you know, when I first got into Meteor, my, my uh, co-founder for a former venture advocated that we use it. And I wasn't too thrilled about it because it was like a brand new framework. I didn't really know what, they were thinking or what the deal was. And it was only after I experienced the framework and the build process and how many things it gets out of the way for you that I began to appreciate it. And I think it's flexibility with uh, how you can organize your code is really nice and we just have to figure out uh, what the best way to do that is. And I think we will. But I think one of the most underscored aspects of it, which we learned the hard way, was the performance and the scalability. And when you look at the underlying technologies, you've got Mongo and Node, which uh, everyone says can scale. But, you know, because, lawyer, because Meteor builds a second layer on top of it, unfortunately, you don't get the same performance and scalability out of them. And by that, I'm referring to the merge box and the opflot tailing. So I think as most people know, when you when Meteor basically watches your Mongo database's operations log and it sees what changes are being made to your documents. And then if they're relevant to your queries, it'll send an update. And I think that was a really clever idea. I think Aeronauta was the first one to implement it. And it did a lot to improve Meteor's performance. But the problem is that every single Meteor server you have will watch the database. So if you have like 10,000 operations per second, like let's say you have Tinder and there's a thousand people swiping left and right uh, at the same time, there's a good chance that your database, that, that, that Meteor application server will just stop working. And that's where you're in danger because if you have something that grows very fast, you're gonna have to probably rebuild your, your backend services. And I think what, what Mixmax experienced and what we experienced is that, you know, the MongoDB is a great integration point in Meteor's case, because if you deposit documents from another service or another place, Meteor becomes conscious of it and does the appropriate modifications. But if you deposit a thousand documents at once or something, your server may crash. And that's something that mere mortals like us, or at least myself, can't just fix uh, by jumping into the code. But I'm still hopeful that it'll get resolved because I think Galaxy, I, I think and hope that Galaxy will tackle that issue first. 
Well, I, I think so to me, like one possible solution is moving to MySQL or, or Postgres or something like that. Right. And you'll get trigger support and then you don't have to watch the database. Like you can tell the database to fire and tell the, the appropriate people about it or whatever. And, and maybe that'll be a little bit better, but in all honesty, you know, not everything has to be reactive. And so you should be conscious of that. Um, and, and the other point is, you know, honestly, Mixmax is way far ahead of any of us, I think. Um, they're pretty much one of the, the biggest scalers out there and they figured out easy ways to solve it as well. So I don't, I don't know that I see these as real big issues. I see them as issues that need to be dealt with. But when I look back at, you know, myself, again, like I'll, I'll go back to a Rails comparison. I built a, a Twitter app that consumed uh, your uh, social graph and it would, it would look at all the people that are following um, well, you'd give it other people like, let's say David Heinemeyer Hansen and Chris Wanstroth and, uh, you know, some other famous Rubyist and, um, it would suck in all their followers and then it would analyze those and figure out who was the most interesting. And it would show you, you know, who, maybe who the movers and shakers are on that list. Well, you know, when you put in someone like JK Rowling, um, you know, cause you want to, you want to figure out readers that like Harry Potter, then, you're analyzing like millions and millions of rows like rails could not handle that at all. So, I mean, do I say then at that point that rails can't scale? I don't think so. I just had to find a different way to approach the problem, which was moving to Redis and shoving all that data into Redis and then doing uh, comparisons like union comparisons there to find the data I wanted. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point. And actually the app that we built in media was, was very similar to this. And um, I think the difference, I'm not sure if, if SQL would scale a million documents easily, but in our case, something like 5,000 at once would be enough to put out all our application servers. So I, I, I do want to highlight that. I, I still think that it's, uh, it, it, it could be dealt with, but it definitely puts a hard limit. As to how it, it has been dealt with, actually. Have you tried, have you used... Have you tried again since the oplog back pressure stuff went in? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a good uh, stopgap solution. It basically reruns your queries uh, if it falls too far behind. Yeah, it flushes out anything that it cares about with oplog, and then you know, just picks up again with a pull and diff, and then restarts the oplog. Yeah. I think once they uh, start Galaxy, it's going to open up a whole nother realm of support. Yeah. And now it's like a premium product. And these, uh, some of these big issues are going to be like, answers are going to be demanded and they're going to have to really come out with stuff. So, I mean, part of it is being early. Um, but again, uh, like in this day and age, like someone, someone uh, just, it just takes one company to jump on your framework and doesn't take much for them to get big. Avi, your, your company's perfect example. And uh, you need something to uh, hold you through it all. Like you need, you need uh, that framework to get behind you and be like, Hey, you made the right choice. You know? Yeah. Things like galaxy excite me because um, it's going to be made by the people who made the framework. So there's like all the tips and tricks and the ins and outs will be covered. Um, but you know, in the current state of things, like there are several options for hosting and, all that and I just wish that you know I wish everyone had modulus type support 
you know, like I just wish everyone did, you know. Um, that's that's another drawback too. It's the 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 options are slim, but there are still options out there, so everything's good. But yeah, I'm I'm always for hire. Just saying. <laughs> Josh does hosting now, everyone. <laughs> I don't know. I don't do hosting, but I know all the hosting providers, so I can help you with your hosting. <laughs> all right, Ben. I want to hear from you. What do you hate? What do I hate? Well. There's this bald guy that always is talking about rails. <laughs> Gosh. Um, I would have to say, uh, and this probably isn't so much, this is more like Node and everything, but like I'm new to Node and uh, dealing with fibers and uh, Rap async. I wish, which is uh, Meteor, I wish there was a uh, better understanding around that. And that's just maybe me needing to dive into it more. But that was a sticking point. Uh, in the meetups, whenever someone um, starts talking about that, even some of the more senior guys in our meetups, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a black box sometimes. And, uh, or maybe just a black box of your time that's going to be dived into. But that's probably my, my biggest thing. Uh, it would be awesome to see like more database support. That's probably my biggest thing. Um, yeah, but otherwise, I think there's so much good that all the bad stuff, like, I don't know, it just magically washes away from me. <laughs> That's just my personality, I think. Once you fix it, it washes away for you, right? When you're in the moment, you're like, ah. I'm in the moment and something awesome happens. I show it to someone. They're like, Oh, that's amazing. And then like, what was that first thought I had? I had no idea. Yeah. Forgot. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Every time at work, probably like run into an error. Like the joke is like, all right, guys, we're switching off meteor. We can't do this anymore. But then, you know, someone figures it out and we're all good. But that's always like the back of our mind. Like, Oh, if it doesn't work, we got plenty of options. We got plenty of options. Well, I, you know, to me, the thing I do like about Meteor is the fact that it is easily modular. Um, and I think, you know, I'm really, really hoping with all the interest in uh, React over at MDG, I'm hoping that they're going to make the uh, front end a little more extensible. And if you want to replace Blaze, like that may be an option soon. I'm hoping we'll hear that, right? Um, and so maybe the thing I hate is the fact that they're like MDGs, maybe not as open about their direction. I would love to see them talking about that a little bit more uh, because, you know, we can all dive into GitHub and we can see Sashko's playing with um, React and we can see like Avatar and David Green's band are playing with React. We know Ben Green, uh, not Ben Green, Ben Newman is uh, involved in React. So it's like, um, are we, are we going to see something from them there? But I, I don't know. And um you know, I feel like we're that you know we've been pushed down this Cordova path, and maybe maybe it's actually going to be React and React Native in the future, and that's the way we could easily go with mobile apps. Um, so I'd really love to hear them just talk about their direction more and and be more public about it. Because now that one one's out, like, what's one two look like or two o or what, like what do, what are we what are we getting next? Yeah, especially as more businesses start uh, making products with media they have media is going to need 
to support, you know, a bunch of people that are going to need these roadmaps because they're making decisions today that could possibly change. And um, it'd be nice for them to give us a week, a uh, monthly newsletter. Like this is what we worked on this month, but obviously that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of that, if you look at their roadmap, like the main thing they have is galaxy on their list. And that's what, I, I think that's what the, community needs the most right now and sure but i i think people like david greenspan and avatar probably aren't going to be super involved necessarily with galaxy you know like i know i know justin's working on galaxy and i know they've got a couple other guys working on galaxy um but i, I think working on galaxy is going to require a completely different team in my opinion right like you're hiring guys that know a lot about uh devops and that kind of thing and so yeah their current team isn't necessarily going to be eaten up, excuse me, by galaxy. So. Yeah. And what, what I think is also interesting is that we see a lot of stuff coming from their core developers, like um, Slava just made the rethink DB package. And then we've got the rest packages from Sashko. So they're, they're still pumping stuff out. And I think what's cool with Meteor is that with the Meteor group is that they give their employees a lot of visibility and uh, freedom to kind of contribute what they want. So I guess in a lot of ways it's still happening, just not through the official uh, media group moniker. All the pain that we have with media, like we see, we see the light at the end of the tunnel with almost everything. And, and it's almost like that girlfriend that you should have dumped. <laughs> it's sometimes. And you're like, gosh, it's just too good. I, I just, so, and then before you know it, you're married to it. To, oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm totally it, sending this to your wife. Please. You're screwed, dude. I'm done talking. I'm done. <laughs> just no. to say, you know, I just drank a six pack deer. While doing this podcast, I don't know what I'm talking about. So the the truth is coming out. You know exactly what you're talking about. I had two of these, so I don't know. Um, no, I agree with you though. Like, uh, I don't know if I agree with you, but maybe some of the sentiment that you know, like, it's improving every day. I think maybe that's where you're going with it. And um, yeah. you know, I I uh, I'm excited for Meteor. Like one one was maybe not as interesting to me, but it was still awesome to see them ship the Windows support and, uh, you know, maybe even grow our community by a third over the next couple of months just because they added Windows support. And, um, you know, the Constraint Solver was was pretty awesome as well, often overlooked in 1.1, but, yeah. I mean, they have a lot of things to tackle. Mm -hmm. They're pretty audacious. Meteor is audacious, and I think that scares people away, and it also attracts other people. Um, but, I mean, gosh, like, they're climbing that mountain every day. I mean, it's – imagine where it's going to be in two years. I know, like, that doesn't help you right now, Avi, you know. But, but dude, like, like, we got the foundation. In two years, no one's going to have anything on us. Yeah, Maybe. I agree. So my, my, yeah. one of my favorite quotes from uh, Mark Twain is the secret of getting ahead is getting started. And I feel like they've started something really, really big here. And, uh, you know, 
we're, I, I feel like I'm already ahead of where other people from rails are right. Like I watched DHH's keynote and I had to chuckle when they're like, we're adding WebSocket support and we're writing a, a front end, you know, uh, client, uh, framework now. And it's like, Oh, we're already there. It's going to be like that Honda with the big spoiler on the back. <laughs> exactly. Nice. All right, guys. Uh, this was a good show. I want to thank uh, Max and Avi for coming on here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, guys. This podcast has been a Meteor Club production. You can find out more information about Meteor Club at meteorjs.club. It's pretty easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. Again, that's meteorjs.club.